I think it was much more emotional when we got to shore, just knowing we, we had, hadn't quite done it, and then also to see all the support we had from our team, um, it meant a lot, so a bit more emotional then. And um, Also, the emotion within the, the group of 10 sailors that came off the water, like a lot of, um, pretty much everyone in the medal race had been to at least two Olympic Games, but it was all an end of an era for everyone there. Um, as the four semis now going mixed, so there was just a lot of emotion for everyone as well. I think I won my age group and Paul got second at those nationals, yeah, and I was 30, close. 30th and 31st. 30th, 30th and 31st overall, and we won the, it must have been 10 or 11 and year old age bracket. And this, um, this random dude called Peter Burling got top five, and he was. Yeah, it was 10. He's younger than us. That's a bit weird. <laughs> Jeff comes whizzing next to us in the coach boat and said, Spain's just declared a state of emergency. Borders are closing, we've got to get out of here. And we were standing here in our sailing gear, sails up. He's going like, oh booking flights, booking flights. Yeah, in a we few had hours, two right? hours to get to the airport, yeah. and then we got to Dubai, and I jumped in the shower. I still salt in my face and <laughs> yeah. sand in my socks and yeah, stuff, and zinc on our face. Yeah. And we got home to New Zealand uh, just before they threw it into a level four lockdown. Finishing fourth in an Olympic Games is one of the hardest things for any athlete to go through. And unfortunately, it's what happened to Paul Snowhansen and Dan Wilcox at the recent Tokyo Olympics. What made it even more emotional was the fact the medal race was probably the last time the pair will sail a 470 competitively together, with the class going to a mixed format for the 2024 Paris Olympics. Paul and Dan are presently in MIQ in Christchurch, but Broadreach Radio caught up with them just before they left Inoshima, the sailing venue for the Games. They reflected on that Olympic campaign, as well as the nine years they had been sailing together. But their association goes back way further than that, to the time they competed against each other as young Opti sailors and went to junior world championships as teammates. Paul and Dan have some good stories to tell, like the time they scrambled to get out of Spain as COVID-19 took hold on the world, and how their Rio Olympics was scuppered by illness. But they also give a good insight into what it's like being an Olympic sailor, and the impact it has on loved ones. And of course, they tell the stories of their worst wipeouts ever. It was a privilege to be alongside Paul and Dan during the Tokyo Olympics, and to witness the way they approached these games and the knowledge it was their last regatta together. It was also good fun to talk to them about their careers so far. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, joining me now on the show is uh, Paul Snow Hansen and Dan Wilcox. Welcome. Thanks for having us. <laughs> well, we're sitting out here overlooking Sagami Bay, where all the Olympic sailing just concluded a couple of days ago. Uh, you know, we know the story. You came agonisingly close to securing a bronze medal, missing out by only two points. Um, fourth is never fun. Uh, it's certainly not a great position to occupy, and you know you could see that it hurt at the time. So, Dan, how are you feeling about it now? A bit more philosophical. 
Um, yeah, had had a good um, last night with the team, and um, a few of few have left us now. Pete and Blair and Andy and JJ uh, heading back to Europe, but um, it was cool to r- wrap it up at Shozos and enjoy your last night with the NZ Sailing team. And um, yeah, me and Snowy just proud of the way we we fought hard all week and obviously not quite the result we were after in the end but we we came close and and looking back we we knew we fought really hard all week so we're proud of our performance but um yeah unfortunately just didn't quite um get across the line Paul would it have been easier if maybe you're like seventh or something (laughs) (laughs) I guess last last Olympics we finished 10th and um didn't actually have a good medal race and that wasn't that satisfying I think um I think just that last race, that last memory of sailing together was actually a really good one. It was a nice, tough battle, and although we didn't get enough to um, get the bronze medal, it was cool to um, get third in that specific race and race really well and get a chance to sort of line up with the best in the world one last time, give it a good shot in front of our teammates, so that was actually really cool. So let's, let's talk about that crossing that finishing line, because you know there's lots of things going on with that. Yeah, do you remember that moment and, and realising that you'd just fallen short? What was that like? Um, for, for me, it was I was just really exhausted. <laughs> <Being special. laughs> the Olympics was just... I mean, regattas are long as they are, and with the Olympics, with the, the lead-in we had, and um, also, you know, you have two reserve days. It's, it's just a long, long week. Um, so, um, And the medal race was in this specific condition where, you know, the pumping flags just come up and we're putting... a a big effort around the race course to keep the boat um, going as fast as it can so yeah as soon as we got through the line in the moment I was just really really tired uh, <laughs> and um, also just knowing we didn't quite do it um, yeah just a bit a bit uh, guttering but um, also just at opposite feelings at the same time like uh, our stint in the 470s come to an end and it was a really fun time with with snowy over the nine years so just a lot of emotions really do you remember what you said to each other no but i do remember thinking geez i've dropped a few more f-bombs than i was expecting (laughs) yeah definitely forgot about that microphone Uh, yeah i know i know before the race we were just saying man like Regardless of what happens, it's been a good, good journey, and um, yeah, I remember just looking back at the reach mark and thinking, shit, should we have done a mark trap or you know? But um, I think in the heat of the moment, it's um, not easy to process all the, all the um, potential outcomes, and there was a really um, big gap between our group and the next, so it was hard to see how it would play out. You know? mm. Yeah. Needed someone. What else did we say? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, oh, I thought you'd heard the microphone. I thought we'd said something funny. <laughs> <laughs> what then? I guess was it like returning to shore? Because the rest of the New Zealand team came out, all carrying the flags, and and for you, Dan, your uh, your dad Hamish was there to to greet you as well. Was that quite emotional? I think it was much more emotional when we got to shore. Um, just knowing we we had hadn't quite done it, and then also to see all the support we had from our team. Um, it meant a lot, so a bit more emotional then, and um, also the emotion within the the group of ten sailors that came off the water. Like a lot of, um, pretty much everyone in the medal race had been to at least two Olympic games, some three, maybe some four. I'm not sure, um, but it was all an end of an era for everyone there. Um, as the four semis now going mixed, so there was just a lot of emotion for everyone as well, which is always you know when you when you 
um, giving the Luke patience, our British mate, a handshake, and he's got tears in his eyes, you know, it, it, yeah. it kind of rubs off on you as yeah, well. It you all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a hug from Jo was probably, yeah, she had a bit of a tear to her eye, just she's been there next to us through the whole journey, so I think uh, that almost probably uh, was the most emotional part, just seeing her get a tear to her eye, yeah, that's funny. Mm, it's funny how other people set you off more than maybe you sort of set yeah, yourselves yeah. off, yeah. yeah. I also thought Dan was um, fighting back tears in an interview, but it was just turned out he was just still panting from um, just being really, really, really um, tired from the um, pumping. <laughs> and I thought he was. I thought I gave him a little hug, and I was like, "Oh, you're not actually crying. You're just you're so tired." <laughs> that's that's his excuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you thought about the what ifs? You know, the buts, the maybes. You know, those things that you could have done in various races that might have brought about a different outcome or have you tried to avoid all of that sort of I thinking? mean when it's that close for, for sure but I think for everyone racing out there this week there are so many what ifs within, within the whole team and within all the sailors here like it was really tough conditions and um, there were just a lot of points on the table for everyone so ha- hard to kind of think about it in that context um, you know I think that's just sailing at the end of every regatta there's a lot of what ifs um, you never sail a perfect regatta well, it felt like you were scrapping the whole week and, and, you know, interviewing you guys after each day on the water. You often talked about having the boxing gloves on and trying to land some blows and also taking a few hits. Can you remember a, a more hard-fought regatta? Well, I think um, just coming out of those Europeans where we, um, we really popped out of every start just a little ahead of the group and um, I think a combination of speed and placement and good starts just meant... We were in the front bunch, and we actually were often just losing a point on the downwind, but it was it was quite passive, like it was quite, um, we had a lot of room to work with. And this regatta just, I don't know if any race felt like that, it just felt like we were surrounded by really top teams, just surrounding the marks, just nose to stern, and yeah, it felt like we didn't have anything that was making that easier, but we were making solid decisions, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting one, it was hard, but... Um, yeah, not not obvious what what we could have done differently other than some more like strategic or starting or speed. But yeah, boat on boat, it was just like so tight all the time. Yeah. We also saw some pretty interesting conditions across the regatta, but not a lot of the swell that you know we'd sort of been expecting. How difficult was it for you guys to get to grips with the sailing venue? Uh, in terms of the sea state, it was, I mean, the smaller the swell, the easier the boats are, the kind of thing. I think it was choppier than I expected. I found, mm. um, yeah, I found the, um, the choppiness of the venue probably a bit more than I expected for just, um, keeping up to speed. Mm. I think in the, um, coaches events, especially with all the coach boats running around, it was just felt like a washing machine out there. Yeah. So that, that felt a bit different. We've, we changed hull hulls that we're using and yeah just yeah I found that um, probably the modes to choose in the chop a little bit hard up when I think we improved through the regatta and I think we improved through the time we're here but yeah I was kind of expecting the bigger waves and maybe a bit smoother on top of the waves yeah mm. is there a type of conditions you would have liked to have seen a bit more of Probably we probably have an edge um, boat speed wise, and so that's six to seven knots. Um, so 
a bit more of that would have been alright. But so exactly what was forecast for that medal race then? Yeah, one not less. A bit lighter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had the last day of fleet racing where we got a three six. Um, you're kind of like sitting on the side to marginal trapeze. Um, the whole fleet kind of comes together a bit more. There's less of a picking order and more chance to get um, for good teams to fall fall back on those types of days. And it would have been nice to to have that in the middle race. It would have been um, maybe. We would have had different scenarios where more boats could get between us and the Spanish, but as soon as that pumping flag went up, um, the pecking order of the fleet um, changes a fair bit, especially with the downwind speed the Spanish have. So it just made it a little harder to do the job of, of getting two boats between us and Geordie. Now you've already mentioned that it's the end of an era for the 470, the men's and women's 470 with it going to mixed class for, for Paris. It also obviously means an end of an era for you guys. And you've talked about it being your last regatta together, but has it really dawned on you that, you know, that was probably your last time racing and sailing together in a 470? Yeah, well, prior to the event, like, we've been talking about it a fair bit, you know. Like we talked about um, the Europeans as we went over to Villamora being, you know, our last dance in Europe, you know, last chance to, um, you know, to have a big European regatta like that together, and it was cool to go out with a... Well, last regatta in Europe to go out with a win, and um, it would have been nice to do the same here in Tokyo. But yeah, we, we've been talking about it for a while, and um, prior to the Olympics, you know, who knows what the future brings for the two of us, but um, I'm sure we're going to keep seeing a lot of each other still. So. Yeah. <laughs> How do you look then back on your time as a combination? Yeah, I mean, it's just been such a, um, such a journey since we're probably 13 years old. It kind of feels like... Uh, I can't imagine it's going to change hugely. I know, I know, we um, might not be sailing together in the future, but our paths have overlapped from the time we played soccer together. So, uh, and we're still competing in table tennis today. And you know, I don't, I don't think we'll. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be around each other on boats, around the water, and yeah, should should um, yeah, should be a good time in the next few years as well. Have the wives and girlfriends ever been a bit jealous of the time that you guys get to spend <laughs> yeah, together? For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, they talk, because like, so many of us in the NZR sailing team, current, um, uh, you know, have come up through the system together and um, it's, it's just pretty cool to reflect back on the, on the nine years um, we've had and just just the journey, you know, all the places sport takes you and uh, the experiences you have, you that's kind of what you'll be reflecting back on when you're an old man sitting on a porch having a tea, you know, you'll be thinking of those times in your life with, uh, with really positive memories, you know. Um, what made your combination work? I think we just were always competing against each other so tightly that we kind of always were going to respect each other's um, approach and were so, so evenly matched but with different strengths and weaknesses that we just knew that there was good stuff there to extract and for sure we've got weaknesses that we both have and um, I think it's taken us quite some time to find a sort of coach that really fitted us for the long run and um, after Hamish was working with us earlier in the campaign so yeah the last few years with Jeff has really sort of rounded out some of our weaknesses but I think me and Dan have a whole lot of strengths and um, the ability to sail boats really fast and make good calls. So I think we always knew that there was some good stuff there that we could extract out of the team, yeah. And clearly the 
the relationship, the personality works. You know, you got to spend a lot of time <laughs> together, don't you? Yeah, I mean, for any double-handed sport or uh, yeah, for yachting as well, um, everyone's got to kind of work on it. You're you're traveling together. You're living. You're spending sometimes 150 days together a year. You know, um, but uh, it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about. A highlight you know there are quite a few highlights in there but is there one result that really stands out I don't know what do you reckon maybe winning winning is always the best but I think I'm um, getting second at the world's in Argentina is pretty damn special I thought that was a really really cool event um, yeah I don't know there's a few few different events that are pretty cool and I think the Europeans just recently was um, probably the best we've sailed and most satisfying, just felt like a really well-rounded sort of regatta against some of the best guys that we came up against for the whole cycle, so yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I think for me the Europeans had a, a nice little edge to it given that it was the Olympic year, I mean same as the silver medal at the Worlds, but uh, given a lot of teams had their best equipment out and we we rocked up in the charter boat, so that was quite... Um, quite satisfying <laughs> <laughs> it felt like you really kicked on I guess in the last 12 18 months um, you know to become consistently world-class you know what changed in that period I think we just needed a bit more time at home I mean we'd been traveling so much and on tour just sailing so many events and basically getting a long list of work-ons and it was probably getting a bit overwhelming how many things that came down to um, I guess we just repeated the same mistakes over and over so we almost needed a pause to sort of reflect that we actually needed to work on a few things for a good chunk of time before we'd expect returns so I think um, probably took six months just getting um, some training partners up to scratch good enough to start pushing us and probably another six months before we started making gains and then another six months of really taking it taking it to another level so I think uh, I think just that extra amount of time you can achieve um, a lot in a regatta but it always feels like you're working on decision making and in New Zealand we've got a chance to really identify some speed weaknesses and strengths yeah. Is it a shame then that you can't compete together and sail together <laughs> again in the 470? <laughs> yeah I mean it makes the motions there too because um, you know, as you become more experienced team, you you become more well-rounded in all the different array of conditions you get. So, like if if we were trucking on to Paris, we feel like um, you know the next cycle we would be much more consistent and um, and with our boat speed and all the conditions, um, we can really just start honing in on on racing, um, which is kind of where we're at now and. Uh, but then also on the flip side, it's a line in the sand. Like we're both, <laughs> we're both yeah. thirty now, and um, we have done nine years. And uh, sometimes you know the decisions made for us, which is, which is quite nice as well. So, um, yeah. You know, thirty's not that old, right? <laughs> no, but I guess uh, yeah. Just for yeah, it's not old, but um, yeah, nine years and uh, longer for Snowy. This is third Olympics. Um, that's you know a line in the sand for us, and then next chapter, you know, uh, who knows what's next? But uh, whatever it is, it's going to be different to what we've been doing. So it's quite exciting too. 
if the 470 had stayed in the present format, do you think you would have given some thought to going again? Oh, for sure. It would be hard not yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's been really enjoyable. Like, I think the last sort of two years has been some of the most fun campaigning we've done. So I think, um, yeah, that's been a real cool way to end it. Would have been fun to carry on, but like Dan said, a line in the sand's actually pretty good. I think, um, yeah, could could very easily just carry on for forever. You know, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about it because we both love France, <laughs> um, croissants, red wine, and then the next ones are in LA. That will be fun, and then the following ones are in, are in Brisbane, I think. <laughs> so, jeez. Would be yeah. in our forties. <laughs> Still well, saving Santi, Santi going in fifties. Yeah, yeah. Robert Shine as well as in his yeah, forties. Yeah. So, so I know it's all early and everything, but but what next? Yeah, well, we've got two weeks in MIQ coming up, um, but for me, I haven't really put too much energy into thinking about what's next um, as we've been building up to Tokyo I've just been trying to stay present and enjoy the process of, of getting ourselves in a position to perform well and and then think about what's next after so <laughs> we're only two days or three days post the Olympics and I uh, haven't really given it much thought yet. What about you? Yeah I think um, I think for a long time now I've known that this sort of sailing community has got so many cool and interesting people in it and the sort of opportunities that are there for you after our games is actually really awesome. But um, yeah, it's a lot of options, and I don't have a lot of clarity of what I want to do, other than um, get back out on the water and do some foil boarding and skiing and spend a bit more time. Um, yeah, actually, I, I just don't know. I'm like Dan, just take it on. What whatever's next, I think it'll be good. <laughs> Well, you, you've talked about the fact that you've known each other a long time uh, and you've been sailing together as a combination since the end of, what, 2012, but you're associating it back way further than that, right back to the sort of nipper junior days of sailing when you were both in the optimists at the time. Do you remember meeting each other way back when and, you know, were you always friends? Probably for me, the, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of Snowy until my first Opti Nationals, um, which were in Wakateri. Man, probably like in maybe 2000 or something. I can't remember. But um, I think... 2001? <laughs> yeah. I think I won my age group and Paul got second at those nationals yeah, and it was close. 30th and 31st. 30, 30th and 31st overall and we won the 10-year-old or... It must have been 10 or 11-year-old age bracket. And this... Um, this random dude called Peter Burling got top five and he was... Yeah, he was ten. He was younger than us. <laughs> That's a bit weird. <laughs> Made you feel inadequate. <laughs> yeah. There was also, I guess, that rivalry right from the start. You know, what did you make of it? Uh, you know, were you rivals? Was it a friendly rivalry? A few words every now uh, and then? I think it was pretty, pretty friendly. I reckon the most sort of obvious head-to-head would have been... Tanner Cup trials one year, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think in the Opti it was definitely a, a friendly rivalry, um, especially for the first, you know, when we first started, uh, you know, winning regattas and making op- the first Opti Worlds we went to. And then Carl Evans came along and he was, he very much became part of that rivalry too between us three, I 
anything, but either Snowy or Carl or me winning basically every event we did. So um, you you were, Carl Evans was definitely in that picture as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a really cool group of um, adults and kids that we um still we still um bump into all, almost all those guys still. I think everyone I went to the Opti Worlds so we've run into either like their families or them in the last few years and even um, being up in Tutukaka was funny because I think our first Opti Worlds team did a big training camp up there and stayed at Urson Buckley's house and Peter was in the team and we've got all these photos of us being 13 or 12 years old together so yeah that was quite um yeah, we haven't made it too far <laughs> from where we started. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, bo- you both went to three Opti World Championships, which is pretty impressive. And in 2004, Paul, you were second. And Dan, I think you were fourth overall and helped the New Zealand team win the Miami Herald Trophy for the top team. So what, what was that experience like? Did you feel like world beaters? A little bit, because I think prior to us, um, New Zealand hadn't ever made a top 15 or Jam- top. Jamie Thompson, who we still know today, he got 23rd at the Opti Yeah, World, so. I think that was the best result we'd ever had. And then in terms of the, what did you call the overall trophy? The Miami Herald yeah, trophy. Yeah, New Zealand had never won that before. So, um, uh, and yeah, it was our second Opti Worlds. The year we, Snowy got second, I got fourth. And uh, we kind of went there with still... No, not really high expectations, and we probably just surprised ourselves a bit with our performance there. And um, yeah, for Snowy to get on the podium and for me to get a top five result, we're both really stoked. And then um, to win the team trophy was just really cool. And it became a bit of a news story at the time, and <laughs> it, it just felt um, it was definitely a highlight in our Opti sailing career. When I look when I look back at that, um, the four years or however long we did yeah, Opti's for. It's pretty funny. Some of the people we met um, back then, we still raced against out there, like Hannah Mills was at one of our Opti Worlds, and Marco Grail had a really good influence on us. Yeah. Um, and we're, yeah, so we, we um, I even bought one of my boats off Martin Grail, so yeah. it seems like a pretty small world still. Yeah, I mean, Tina Lutz just got the um, silver medal here in the 49FX. She won the last Opti Worlds we did in Switzerland. <laughs> so a lot of the guys that are in the Olympic um, sailing here are you know, we're also guys we race against in the Opti, which is pretty classic. Yeah, well, you talk about Peter Burling and Carl Evans, but also Susanna Pyatt was in one yeah. of those teams. Jason Saunders was in one of those yeah. teams. You know, what was it? And they all went on to be Olympians and, and some extremely successful, obviously. What was it about that group that made you? I, th- so I think alongside that um, group was probably just the America's Cup and the families and... Um, different people coming to New Zealand to compete in those 2000 and 2003 America's Cups. So we had all these um, people in our yacht clubs who were pretty big names in the yachting world. And I think there was a good perspective of what was important. We all had pretty cheap gear. It wasn't so much an arms race, but there was a lot of um, good knowledge on what, what it would take. And I think there were also pockets of sailing happening around the country. The Tauranga sort of group was sort of developing and up north, Andy and Blair and a few others were doing a good job. So it was just a really cool time to be sailing against. Um, yeah, even JJ we lined up against in the Opti's, and yeah, it was just a cool time. We well, both then had pretty good success in things like the P class uh, and 420, and, and Paul, I think you 
teamed up with Blair Chook in the 29er and won a Youth Worlds medal. Is that right? Yeah, that was pretty funny. We um, we started in the 420 and then learnt the 29er in about three months. And I remember about three weeks into it, we declared that you couldn't stay planing in a jibe. It just wasn't pos- possible. So we were, we were pretty um, amateur, really. Um, but yeah, it all sort of came together at the last minute and we ended up getting second, so that was a really good memory. Um, yeah, and then I went again with um, Ben Goodwin, who, who's still a really good friend today, yeah, the next year. So then what pulled you to the 470? I think um, 470 has, has a strong history in New Zealand. Um, uh, also, you, you kind of weigh up, you know, what Olympic classes you are eligible to do given your physique body weight and stuff like that and um, at the time there, there was a decent 470 um, fleet um, Pete and Carl uh, we'd all jumped out of 420 too so um, 420s relate very much so to a 470 so um, and then yeah from, from the 420s you had Pete and Carl like Jason, Snowy um, Jeff and Mark Ovington were the ones to beat on the block and, and I jumped in with a guy called Chris Dawson and um, Andy and Blair might have done it Andy and Blair might have oh they did 420s but oh yeah yeah yeah, it was just a it was just the most obvious choice to try like transfer your skills you'd learn from a 420 and go overseas to a four senior again and try to get a good result really yeah it was a good combination of the worlds the 420 worlds being in New Zealand and then about a year later or even less the 470 worlds being in Melbourne so we had, um, I think we had like 14, 470s go over when we were sort of 17 or 18. Yeah. And uh, Mark and Mark and Jeff Woolley were campaigning hard at the time, so. Yeah. Yeah. But buddy Peter and Carl were pretty good back then. <laughs> well, for you, Dan, you were following, um, you know, in the footsteps of your dad, Hamish, who was a three-time 470 world champion. What, I guess... Did that bring extra sort of pressure, or was there were there ever times that you felt like people would, you know, just assume that you were then going to go on and do what he did? Um, I'm not sure. Hamish is um, he's pretty hands off in general with um, or has been with my sailing. It's always been up to me whether I wanted to do it or not. Um, but yeah, like Snowy said, we had the 420 worlds in New Zealand, followed by the 470 worlds in Melbourne two years later, and it was just a good opportunity to be saving that class and learning. Hamish was coaching the British boys, um, so um, that was quite helpful in terms of like what sails and gear we should all use. So I think Snowy and um, who were you sailing with? Riley Dean. Riley, we all were running the North UK sails um, and ch- trying to learn. How to sail at the 470 really, and it was a it was a good time. Uh, those Melbourne worlds were, were really fun. Like Snowy said, a big group of Kiwis, and um, and we were young, so we we were just kind of soaking it all up. And there's also your sister Anna, who went on to represent New Zealand in snowboarding at the Winter Olympics. And so, look, I've seen how super competitive the family is. You know, I've seen it on the table tennis table mm-hmm. and the pool table over these last few days. And you know, with, with Hamish being here as as Pete and Blair's coach, what is it about your family that breeds success? <laughs> um, I'm not sure, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think 
I think we just kind of fell into a little bit like just chasing what we enjoyed and um, not putting too much pressure on anything. But um, I think Hamish and Mama are good kind of uh, external mentors and um, and they've always kind of instilled a mindset of like um, like there's nothing you can't do if you you know if you want to do something your world's your oyster if you are willing to put in the time and energy and you can make it work and um, I think for Anna for the skiing um, she had nothing to lose she wasn't sure what she wanted to do um, at that stage in her life in terms of uni and stuff like that and she kind of just fell into the world of freestyle skiing and um, and you know obviously mum and dad my dad knows nothing about skiing but um you know just Arnold was passionate about it and uh, he just said just go for it mate. so um yeah I, I would need to think about that question a bit more to give you a better answer but yeah I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised Paul you didn't pull out the winning the um 3.7 nationals as the highlight against your dad because oh, yeah, uh, that's good He's been a pretty handy sailor in his time as well. I guess what influence has he had on you? Oh, he's had a huge, huge influence. He um, probably got me out on his laser when I was three years old or something. So, yeah, I've been around sailing my whole life. Um, and yeah, largely to, due to Dad's enthusiasm. And I think it um, definitely has rubbed off on me, just his love for the sport. And you, you see it in this new generation coming along with... Um, Seven Blake and Andre, who we train with, it's just amazing how, like, basically the the love for the sport can really sort of propel you into just taking on and learning what needs to be learned to be the best in your sort of generation. So yeah, Dad, um, Dad definitely had that with the three point seven like, sort of a love for it for generations or or like since I think he built a boat for his brother, so it's. Yeah, since he was a sort of teenager, I think the 3.7 was a big deal. So now he's 65 and he's dominating the class. And um, I dabbled in it enough to know that um, he was actually pretty quick and pretty hard to beat. And uh, me, Dan, and Jeff rocked up with boats that we borrowed, and he um, he kicked our asses. So. <laughs> so I had to come back with my own boat and copied his mast and copied his sail and. Thought, man, I'm 30 and he's 65. Surely I can get him here, and yeah, finally, finally did it. It's pretty satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure another thing that was satisfying was um, going to the London Olympics 2012, and you went with Jason Saunders. Well, I think you were 21 years old at the the time. You guys finished fifth. Um, you know what experience was that like for you? Yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty crazy at that time. The sort of the level that we expected from ourselves, um, largely because of Peter and Carl having already gone to the Olympics at 17 years old and Peter and Blair being the same age as us and sort of they got a silver at that one. So, yeah, it was quite amazing that at that point I didn't realise that we were so young probably performing at that level. Um, we, we had huge weaknesses and huge strengths, so it's a bit of a roller coaster ride going from I think twenty first at the World Champs just a few months before to um, I think we got third on the sale for gold just before the event. Um, we were in in a podium position with a few days to go, so yeah, it was it was a really exciting time, and I think we were not so well rounded. So 
um, yeah, no regrets sort of thing. You're just young, sort of just giving it your all. And I think Weymouth was really, really fun um, during the Olympics. It was a really fun time with lots of families around and a great, um, yeah, just a great atmosphere. So it was just a really fun event, I think. Well, that's when the, the I guess the story brings you back two back together again because at the end of that campaign you teamed up with Dan. Do you remember how that partnership came about? Um, was there like the email that Peter Burling sent to Blair Chu, which now sits in the Maritime Museum, <laughs> asking him if he wanted to team up? <laughs> I think um, from my memory, uh, leading up to London, I think Jace might have broken his arm or something. Yeah, he and did. Um, to yeah. keep Snowy training, um, I got out a couple times and did a bit of crewing for him, and we had, had a lot of fun. And and then obviously Sir Peter Blake Regatta, Sir Peter Blake Regatta that yeah. we won, and then um, and then obviously Snowy and Jace took off to the Olympics and performed really well, and and then kind of parted ways. Jason teamed up with uh, Gemma to do something new and try the NACRA. Um and I think we just we caught up. Um, a bar in Takapuna, yeah. I can't remember what it was called, and and just had a yarn and uh, and talked about doing a campaign and 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 uh, I think Snowy had a bit of time to rest after London and and I was pretty keen to keen to um give it a crack and for me I had nothing to lose at that stage I I hadn't really had much success at at late with my sailing and um, it was just an awesome opportunity for me to to take grab with both hands and see where it takes us and then yeah here we are nine years later <laughs> <laughs> so had you been a helm up to that point oh uh, i had um i had done a bit of helming and then i did a 470 worlds with jeff woolley as a crew in den haag in 2010 but it kind of been like sporadic sailing like i'd do like a six six months lead up to one event and and then um uh, you know would we didn't get the result we needed and funding was tough a lot tougher than it is now probably when when we were younger like you really had to kind of just rock up to your worlds and get a good result and if you didn't you kind of had to go back to work again to try save some money for the next crack so um that's kind of where i was at and then um obviously snowy had had a good regatta with jace at, at the olympics and and had all the gear so i kind of um bought into jason's half with the help of my dad and uh and then that really set us up um, to perform. And I think that our first year together, we might have had a, you know, a silver medal at the Delta Lloyd Regatta, and then um, okay. finished seventh at the Worlds, which put us in a inside a funding bracket to get help. And 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 yeah, and then Worlds now now here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so again, just drawing back to Pete and Blair, they were just kind of like, oh, let's see how it goes. We'll give it a you know, a little bit of time. Was it the same for you, or did you see it as a long-term commitment as soon as you, you got together? I think I think uh, we were definitely focusing on Rio, and I think we hadn't really talked about what's next until we took on Rio. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely the plan to, to, to um, campaign for, for Rio and get a medal in Rio. So what's the, what's the key to a good 470 combination? time <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's a complicated boat um, it's very very um, it's amazing what little subtleties sort of end up being really important so I think Dan and I just both had a feel for making boats go fast so um, we could sort of 
apply that to any boat that we tried, but I think the depth and the four seventy fleet and the knowledge was um pretty incredible. So I think um I think passing that knowledge along and sort of I think the ability to get upskilled by people who are really good in the class already, that was probably the key to it. And we've been really lucky to have the influence of Simon Cook and um, like Dan said, like having Hamish sort of involved with the British and being able to learn from that. I think um, just so much experience in the class of so being able to learn from that really helped a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, have, <laughs> do you have specific roles? You know, does one call the tactics or do you make, you know, collaborative decisions? Yeah, uh, you're, you're very much like working together the whole time. Um, uh, but in general, Sonoy's got a, a lot more going on, um, going upwind in terms of making the boat go fast. Just um, there's so many controls that you can tweak and make make the boat go quicker and put it into different modes. So um, I've got a bit of vantage point to look around and and make calls and vice versa downwind. But um, obviously, if one of us gets tied up, we need to paint a picture to the other so they can they can take over. If need be, so it's just yeah, just. Um, I often tell Dan something, and then just tell him quite quickly afterwards that I barely looked around, so don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you leave all the blame and yeah, it's like, on him. Looks like there's heaps of wind out there, right? I haven't really looked up until now, but <laughs> take it if you like. <laughs> so you mentioned that you got second at those 2016 World Champs in, in Argentina. So did it mean that you went into Rio with pretty high expectations? I think like um, Snowy alluded to in London, like him and Jason had big strengths and weaknesses and um, they were rocket ships in the breeze. And, and then when me and Snowy teamed up, we almost had, I, thought, I think it was Snowy, probably almost had opposite strengths <laughs> and weaknesses. Uh, we were going really well in light air conditions. And, um, and we had that in Argentina for a lot of the regatta. And we still hadn't quite nailed um, our boat speed and handling and stuff like that in, in the big breeze. And and in Rio we got caught out. We it was a heavier event, and I think the podium was was the heavier teams that that came through in that regatta. Um, so we we did go into um, Rio with high expectations. We we were the current silver medalists at the worlds. Um, but you know, if you're not well rounded, you're, you're going to get caught out at the Olympics. With, and you know, we did. It was windy, and um, you know, we had a few things just not go our way. So how did you cope with? What was it tenth? Tenth. Yeah, it was really tough. I don't know if no, no if it's common knowledge, but um, halfway through the event, I went down with a gastro, and um, yes, yeah, so I felt pretty bad for Snowy. I, I was pretty useless on the trapeze for the second half of the event and uh, I was literally up all night with, <laughs> with a gastro bug and then trying to get out the door in the heat down to the yacht club and, and, and try sail, you know, um, well out on the water and, uh, you know, I, I was really struggling. So it was a tough time for the two of us and, um, and yeah, I don't think... Uh, yeah, we, we had a great time back end of, of those Olympics. So um, after Rio, it was definitely, uh, um, we, we weren't fulfilled with, you know, how we performed there. So it's quite a different feeling after these Olympics, knowing that, you know, we, we 
got to go out there and give it our best and you know, obviously we fell short but proud of the way we sailed and um, we had a good chance here. So. so did that leave you more motivated, you know, wanting more and to, and to go again? I think, I think it definitely um, made us question a lot more what, what we really needed to do and how, how we, we would do it. So I think the first, I mean this cycle's been five years, but the first few years we were really probably coming to grips with how to take on that challenge. I think to become like a well-rounded sailor with no weakness is actually a, it's a huge task to take on. Like the, it's so easy to get better on in one area and get worse in another area. It's really hard to sort of up your level across the board. Um, like the, the way you decide to do that and who you surround yourself with and how you actually make those learnings is not easy. So yeah, I think the first probably two or three years of this campaign is we probably didn't make much progress at all. It was quite hard. It wasn't easy to sort of work out what that recipe would be. And yeah, we, we were struggling really. We were really struggling in Japan specifically. Um, it, it kept on exposing that sort of mid-range condition where we'd struggled all those years earlier. So I think um, with that sort of, once we got grounded in the sort of COVID lockdown time, I think that's the first time that we sort of had, we actually probably came together and laid down foundations that we both really felt comfortable with in a way that would help our boat speed. And yeah, it was, um, I think it's made the last sort of two years be really satisfying. I think you could feel a sense that we were making progress and that's probably the most enjoyable part of it is when you feel like you're learning and feeling like you're better than the day before. Yeah, but it wasn't a straight line. It wasn't. It wasn't an easy sort of road. I don't. Mm. Well, you had those three regattas here, didn't you? There was the World Champs, the Test Event, and the World Cup. Yeah. And, and I think you guys have talked about sort of getting beaten up here. Mm. Um, were the times when you thought, "Shit, we're just not going to make it work." Sport's pretty brutal. I think the the um, hard part with the, that Japan stint was we had just come off a successful Europe stint. I think we had uh, finally felt like we had sort like of we'd moved. a lot of those gaps. You know? um, it's a hard balance with sailing because you're focusing on your race craft and, and nailing that execution on the water. Plus you've got to be quick. And um, we've often not had those things going hand in hand. And we got to Europe and, and we were going quick enough and we were really happy with the way we were racing. And we just won Genoa, and then we'd got third at the Europeans in San Remo. And um, then we got to Japan, and it almost helped our clarity a lot because we had come off those two good events and really happy with the way we were racing. And and then we got here to Japan, and, and we were really happy with the way we were starting, the way we were racing, but we were just getting swallowed up because we didn't have the, the boat speed in, in those specific conditions. So, you it's quite nice when you come off an event like that and the uh, the work on is quite obvious. Um, so we, we really knew after after that Japan stint what we needed to go home and work on. And, and then like Snowy said, we had COVID and then and a whole year to, to try plug that, that weakness. Yeah, I, I just to take you to that COVID experience though because you guys had a fairly early one, uh, March 2000 and uh, what was it, 20, mm. when you travelled to the 470 World Champs in, in Europe. Um, 
and the event was called off just a couple of days before it was due to start, wasn't it? Well, <laughs> that, that, was actually, that was actually awesome for us. We went out there and think, and just like the first or second day, I think we had three days on the water, and maybe the second day it was sort of windy and mid-range, and we got pumped, and we thought, oh man, the six months hasn't, we haven't plugged this gap yet, so... We only had a few days on the water and we got sent home straight away, but that was almost invaluable. It was the last time we sort of caught up with the fleet before we sort of, yeah, till a long time later. We were in a full flat though because... Um, it was a funny story. Right? We, we, we got to Parma <laughs> and setting up for the worlds and, and then, you know, there were whispers of COVID and obviously it was going bad in China and, and starting to go bad in Italy and... Um, and then when they cancelled the event, um, a lot of teams kind of flew home and, and we were there set up with our boat and it's a big effort to get to Europe from New Zealand and our British training partners said, oh, come on boys, Like I think everyone's just overreacting here, let's stay and, um, and do a training camp here in Parma. And we we kind of thought about it over a coffee and they said, yeah, like that sounds good. We've yeah, At this point we thought the Olympics you know, were, were coming up quick so we needed all the you know, all the good training we could get and all the learnings we could get. Um, so we went out for a beer that night and, and then the next day did our first training camp and uh, and then when we got off the water, uh, Jeff comes whizzing um, next to us in the coach boat and said, Spain's just declared a state of emergency. Um, you know, borders are closing, we've got to get out of here. And we were standing there in our sailing gear, sails up, He's going like oh booking God, flights, booking flights. Well, so we had hours two later. hours to get to the airport. <laughs> so we literally just like scrambled the mast down, got the sails rolled up, just threw everything in the boat, chucked the cover on, took photos, ran back to the hotel. Um, and we left our Airbnb with the door open, yeah, not even locked. Uh, we managed. <laughs> we managed to get to the airport, and at that point, most of the flights had been cancelled, and um, we we're like, oh my God, we're going to be stuck here. But luckily we managed to get a con connecting flight through um, to Zurich and then we got to Dubai and I remember we got to the to the lounge and I jumped in the shower, I stood salt in my face and <laughs> yeah. sand in my socks and yeah, stuff. And, zinc on our face, yeah. Um, and we got home to New Zealand uh, just before they threw it into a level four lockdown, so we, we, we felt like we just got out of there in time. Because <laughs> so you're also travelling with a couple of youngsters and, as well, did you kind of... As the older guys, did you feel a bit responsible for them too? No, they were onto it, eh? They yeah. Knew before we left, they were they were far more cautious and they were, well, they were right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, luckily they they made the call to fly home once the event got cancelled. Um, so it was just me, Snowy and Jeff that were planning to hang around and do this training camp. So they, they were already on their way um, and they got out of there before, before it got stressful. <laughs> Well, that's one, I guess, more extreme story about travel, international travel as a, as a sailor. But just, what can you give us a sense of what life is like as an Olympic sailor? Because, you know, you're away from home a lot. Yeah. I think uh, I think Simon Cook's been a pretty good influence on us every, every day overseas when we're thinking, oh man, this has been a while overseas now, um, what are we up to? He's just always telling us that we're living the dream and we'll never do sailing as good as this again and I think he's right I think it's uh if you look out there right now it's bloody good to be sailing <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think the same the, the competing and the adventure of traveling is, is just epic um I think 
probably from the outside it sounds more glamorous than it is like a lot of the time we're staying in some pretty beat up accommodation and um often you know especially first early days of the campaign it's proper cold in europe especially in those first events and we're staying in like a caravan park <laughs> putting on wet wet suits uh freezing our butts off um and you know going out there and trying to trying to improve every day and uh but, you know, the memories that come with it are incredible and then the, the places you see and, and the people you meet. So, yeah, that's epic. But. I think um, our first few years um, had a lot more story than the last few years, really. Like, like the sort of dumb things you do on tour when you're sort of 19, 20. Uh, yeah, we, we booked a lot of bad accommodation. We've had some shockers over the years. And, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably should have looked at what what sort of temperatures we were getting ourselves into before we jumped on the flight with what we packed. <laughs> <laughs> what about the effect on loved ones? Um, because Dan, uh, Dan, you're now a, a new dad with a young son. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really hard, um, obviously, the time away. Um, uh, luckily, I, I've been with Bailey since uh, since I was a kid at school um, so she's been with me the whole journey of my sailing career and, and she's been just um, just my backbone really just a huge supporter and um, you know the uh, idea of being able to go to the Olympics is, is just such an exciting prospect and opportunity so um, yeah she's just been incredible over the nine years just backing me and, and helping me chase my dreams and um yeah it's been two olympics now and uh and now there's a line in the sand here for me and snowy so it's going to be exciting to get back now and and um see my little boy louis and and then uh hopefully uh back bailey for what she wants to do next whatever that is but um yeah no we're an awesome team and i'm really lucky to have had her support over the years what impact did the 12-month delay to the Olympics have on you guys? You know, was it difficult to keep motivated all the time with all your training and your preparations? You know, there were times when we didn't even think they were going to go ahead, right? I think that was the hardest part. Like, you've just sacrificed five years um, into, into this campaign and with the idea that, you know, it might not happen. Um, you kind of, it's hard not to feel like, you've wasted your time a little bit and on a project that's got no kind of end result or end reward of, of being able to compete on the world stage so that was the hardest part for me I think yeah I think I should probably just chime in to say um Sully uh Sophie's been just like really really solid for me for the last few years and um yeah she's Danish and she gets stuck in New Zealand when I go to Europe I, I've been in Aarhus like right down the road from her house and she's in New Zealand in winter so yeah that's been a little bit um tough on her but yeah I think like like with Bailey with Dan just that support's been pretty incredible um very lucky and yeah we're we're all excited to catch up as a group I think uh, we might go out for dinner with Dan and Bailey and yeah it'll be good to have a you know champagne and just say yeah it's been a good good ride and yeah, Sophie and Bailey have been wearing these team T-shirts with pride, and I think even Louis got one. So, I think yeah, well, we're cool. we were really happy. In, in two thousand nineteen, we flew them over um, to Japan here and had a good 
um, week or eight days or whatever it was after the event to look around Tokyo and stuff like that. And obviously then COVID came and friends and family couldn't come to the Olympics. So just um, we were laughing that it was it was so awesome that we, we did get them over to Japan that year and they could experience Japan. Um, hopefully we'll come back because it's a really cool place. Yeah. But yeah, it was disappointing for the, for the girls that, um, yeah, they... They couldn't come and be part of it this time. Yeah. And uh, my brother's um, living in Paris now, and he was pretty damn keen to come over, so that's a bit too bad. But I think um, our parents have both gone to the Olympics, and um, that was cool in Rio, so they were pretty, pretty happy to have done that. And Hamish was obviously here as a coach, so that's pretty good for, for Dan. It was actually really nice having Hamish there on the water, or by when we got off the water. Like he's been a big part of our campaign as well, so... Yeah, that was cool. You'll just have to go to Marseille then in 2014. Don't say it. Don't say it. Did you hear Dan? He said there's a line in the sand. We can't cross it. (laughs) (laughs) So look, these Olympics have been pretty interesting for a a number of different reasons. You know, a lot of restrictions. Um, We're very restricted in where we can go and what we can do. What's it been like? Because, you know, you guys have had experiences of different Olympics you know, how does this one compare? For me, the the biggest difference is that we've only just hit halfway. We just passed halfway through our trip just like a few days ago. So um, I think it's just that idea that we now have to go into sort of MIQ. It's just going to be a different way to decompress from a regatta. And we obviously came off the back of a good event in the Europeans and we could sort of enjoy that in MIQ, but it's going to be a bit tougher for all the teams who probably didn't have as good an event as they had sort of hoped for. But I think the actual day-to-day here has been bloody good. It's been fantastic. Like, the Japanese have put on an awesome event. It's been really smoothly run. We can't say enough good things about what PK's done for us. He's just organised such a slick programme, and we've had this um, set up with Shozos with ping-pong and pool, so it's been, other than having loved ones around, it's... It's been as good as I could have hoped for, I reckon. Yeah, and I think with our sport, like, we're out on the water for kind of long hours and our event is drawn over quite a long period of time through the Olympics. And I, must, I can imagine it must be hard, or you'd feel like you have so much downtime if you kind of, if your event was over in a day and then you're here in Japan, kind of can't see the city and pretty isolated in your movements and what you can do plus the quarantine so I think with sailing taking up so much of our time here has been quite quite fortunate in a way you could probably speak to it better than us <laughs> yeah. I, bet, I bet you're you're finding it a bit, bit harder <laughs> yeah I'm certainly not looking forward to those two weeks that's for sure um, but let, let's fast forward past those two weeks uh, you know what do you think it'll be like knowing that you don't have to go sailing if you don't want to <laughs> We've been running our own program for a while now, so <laughs> I think I think um I think water sports is just a huge part of both of our lives, so I think you'll see us um out there on the water but maybe just not in a four seventy, just on different boats. I think we both will enjoy spending a bit of time um either skiing or doing something different, but I don't think it'll take long before we'll be back out on the water. Yeah, I think first of all we'll probably end up on the Lake Papuki winging. Snowy might be trying to beat his speed record of 31 knots. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a transition. But, um, yeah, we, like Snowy said, we just love going out on the water. And 
I've got a bit of um, downtime to do some mountain biking when I first get out of MIQ, which will be something different and, and quite nice. And um, Obviously, just getting back into family life with Louis and helping out Bailey, she's, she's been an absolute trooper because she's been basically essentially a single mum now for six weeks or however long this trip is. And, and I know that she's really tired, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking forward to coming back and... Um, and helping out as much as I can. Um. Well, we've really enjoyed watching you two over the last week, 10 days. You know, it's been a, an intense ride, uh, but a really great experience to see you put down a regatta that you're really proud of. Um, but before I let you go, uh, the last question's coming. I need to get the worst wipeout ever from you. Who wants to go first? Hmm, probably one that stands out for me was we were training off Murray's Bay in the 470. And it was a piping southerly breeze, um, dead flat water, and we're like, we had the speed puck on the mast, and we thought, let's just go for a little speed run. So we hoisted the kite, went for a just, reach. Just to paint the picture, we just told Brownie, like Brownie was coaching us for the day, and he was keeping the ribbon Bayswater, and we said, Brownie, we're just going to sail in, don't worry about us, you go home now, we're just going to chill, we're just going to go in, don't worry. I think we were like off, uh, just off Takapuna at the stage, so we reach off down to Murray's Bay, and we get hit by some proper, proper breeze, and I was flat wiring, reaching, but we were essentially pointing downwind, how windy it was, and we got this 470 humming up to 23 knots, which is pretty quick for a 470, and then the rudder stock snapped, and... Um, <laughs> We just and flew the <laughs> and the rudder, and we just flew, threw, flew into this big capsize, and I got flung over the mainsail, and um, and we all of a sudden we had a bit on just to get back to the beach. How <laughs> yeah, did you get back? Snowy basically had the, the squad at the back of the boat holding the rudder with his hand, <laughs> trying to steer while I'm on the trapeze trying to keep the boat flat because it was it was you know 30 knots yeah. plus so <laughs> <laughs> I quite a sight I'd say yeah. and those guys call themselves Olympians and all that yeah. <laughs> and what about you Paul maybe not it's not sailing but I was in the garage for repairing our centerboard and just like delicately repairing the trailing edge there was a little nick so I made this little repair with some resin and it was perfect and put it down on a sawhorse and then I knocked it and the sinboard just ran down the legs. It would look quite similar to a guillotine and I just saw this delicate, sharp trailing edge going towards the concrete. And with my um with my bare feet I thought, you know what would stop the trailing edge getting damaged? Is if I shove my, my foot under there. And it worked, like it was real good for the centerboard, but not so good for my big toe. So yeah, pulled it out and could see my tendon and that was pretty hardcore. <laughs> so that was just a shocker. Yeah. A few stitches. Yeah. But I saw my tendon. That was cool. <laughs> okay. You could have yeah. lost a toe. Yeah. Yeah, got like a Harry Potter scar on my big toe now. Those toes yeah. are quite useful when you're hiking too, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. We went to the hospital and they saw what it was and said, oh, yeah, you've cut your tendon. Um, but we can't do anything about it tomorrow, so you can go home now. So they sent me home with a moon boot on and I could still look at my big toe and try to pull it up and it just didn't move. <laughs> Went out for dinner that night and then next day sort of got it all stitched up and good to go. <laughs> so not a wipeout but pretty much the same thing. <laughs> oh good stories and a great way to end. So yeah thanks again for uh, joining us on Broadreach Radio. Yeah no Cheers, worries Michael. thanks for having us. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, that's it for another episode of Broad Reach Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Now the Olympics are over, we'll look to return to our normal format of releasing a podcast once a fortnight on a Friday afternoon. So look out for the next one on August 20. In the meantime, I'll be enjoying the delights of MIQ. Take care.